My name's Joey. I'm a college student. I'm with Lehigh Crew over there. And Joe asked me to read this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Today we're reading John 4, verses 1 to 26. I'll be reading from the ESV. So now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he, has, he was baptizing and gaining more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gifts of God and who it is that asks for you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we have this opportunity to gather together, that we get to learn who you are and who we are in light of that. And I pray that as Joe comes up to speak, that you would speak through him, and that we would learn who you are and that we would grow and be different kind of people. Thank you so much for who you are. Amen. Let's give it up for Joey reading for us this morning. Always love when we have the church of today and tomorrow, the next generation take part in what's going on here and just want to encourage us all as we consider all that the Lord has for us in our own lives, even to consider that he may be speaking to us about moving towards a role uh, vocationally in the pastorate or in ministry. And I want you to know at any point where God's moving in your heart in that way, I would love to talk with you. And I, I'm reminded even as I think about the next generation and them taking those types of steps, reading here this morning and other aspects of the ministry that each and every one of us are on a journey with God and we want to make sure we do our part to walk with you in it. By the way, you look really good for getting an extra hour of sleep. I can tell that you did that. I could tell that you got some extra, extra sleep. But again, we're glad each and every one of you is here. 
with us this morning. My name is Jill. I serve as one of the pastors here. Those watching online want to welcome you, all our first-time guests. want to extend a special welcome to you as well. We have a gift bag that you can pick up on your way out this morning. But thanks for being here with us today. And as we begin our time together, I want you to think with me, what's going on this Tuesday? Anybody know what's going on this Tuesday? Maybe you received a text message. Maybe you've received or seen some advertisements that tell us about what's going on next Tuesday or this Tuesday coming up. Anybody know what's going on? Election. Yes, that's right. Election. Election. And, and as the text messages have come through and you've seen the ads, uh, it's really clear. It's really clear that they paint the opposition in a positive light like you get a sense of them just really saying man we value each other even if we don't see eye to eye here man this is a good person you know i'm going to tell you what i'm for even though we again would do it differently this person is worth honor dignity and respect we're not going to sling mud at them we're not going to speak bad about them or ill of them right that's what your experience has been right with those text messages and and those commercials right in fact, no, it's been quite the opposite, right? And everybody's like, all right, I'm ready for Tuesday. I'm ready just for that part to be done at the minimum, right? I'm ready for us to get past that. But one of the things it tells us is that we live in a culture that loves for us to pick sides and to be divided. And it's not that we pick a side only that we're going to vote for a candidate because that is part of the voting process that you are choosing a candidate based on where you align with particular issues. But it goes deeper than that because we start to see people being objectified, dehumanized, polarized, right? We, we start to see that there is more to it than just the issues at hand, but rather we're going to devalue that person. We're not going to treat them with honor, dignity, and respect. And it's only the politicians that do that, right? That was a joke. No. That is actually culturally normative right now, that we're so divided and we are taught and we are conditioned to pick sides and to pick sides again not just that we're going to respectfully disagree and have a conviction on something but to pick a side in such a way that again it devalues another person it devalues them it, it objectifies them it makes them a thing not a person made in the image of god and so we live in that day and age and so as we think about that i want us to answer a simple question today and it's this, how can you be for the people you are supposed to be against? How can you be for the people you are supposed to be against? Because again, we're conditioned in a way to be for someone or against them. Again, we're, we're conditioned and based off how we think or see the world or the, our experiences or expectations. And people are, again, not only conditioned that way, but our culture applauds that. And if you don't pick a side, and if you're not just uh, for a position, but uh, not for another person, then you're not doing it correctly, right? But again, we want to do something different because Jesus is calling us to a different way. We want to walk in the Jesus way. And so today we're going to see Jesus do this. We've said throughout the Gospel of John that he's been in several conversations, and we're going to see one of those conversations today. But he's going to show us, again, how you can be for the people you're supposed to be against because in his day and age there were people he was supposed to be against his people group were conditioned in a way to view another people group in a certain way and we're going to see that play out as we 
jump into John 4. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to John 4. Verses are going to be on the screen. And then as we go through this, I want us to just take some time to pay attention to what Jesus does, how he interacts, and what it is that is said of him. Because we want to walk in his ways. We want to be about what he's about and how he went about what he did. So listen to what it says here, starting in verse 1. Again, this is Jesus' disciple who records these events. John, the apostle John says the following happened. It says, now Jesus, Jesus, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, I want us to pay attention here. It says that his popularity is growing. He's baptizing more people than John. But it says, in fact, that Jesus wasn't baptizing. Who was baptizing? His disciples. And I, I just think this tells us something, that at the early set in the early part of the ministry of Jesus, he involves his disciples. He involves them in the work that he was going to lead in the work in which he was calling them to and calls us to as we're followers of Christ. He actually wasn't waiting for them to start baptizing people till after he re was resurrected or ascended up to heaven. They're involved in the work right away, which is a beautiful picture for us because he wants to involve us in the work that he himself is doing in us, through us, and around us. And I think oftentimes we miss that. We don't pay attention to what it is and how he did what he did when he walked here on the earth. But it goes on to say this. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, I want us to, to pay attention to this because John says something that I think is really important. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. And this is really interesting as you study this passage and you understand how the Jews related to the Samaritans. In fact, what the Jews would do is they would go an alternative route to avoid having to go through Samaria because they viewed the Samaritans with such disdain and hatred because they were half Jewish. So when they were overtaken by the Assyrians, these, some of these Jewish people started to intermingle and intermarry with Gentiles. And so what would happen is that these Samaritans would be created and they couldn't prove their genealogy. And so the Jewish race would look down on them. In fact, they would pray a prayer that would go something like this. God, we pray that the Samaritans would not be part of the resurrection when you raise the dead. Like, this is the kind of viewpoint that they had towards them. And so this led for them to create their own uh, temple, religious practices. And not only that, but when Jesus is insulted by some of the religious leaders in John 8, it says that they call him a Samaritan. <laughs> in other words, this is really a derogatory term that was used towards anybody that was Jewish. And so Jesus and the Jewish people were conditioned and taught to avoid Samaria and the Samaritans at all costs. But it says, now he had to go through Samaria. 
He had to go through there. In other words, it was part of his mission. He had another route that he could go through. But he chose to go through Samaria because he had to get to someone. And it says of Jesus, he was tired. And I, I think this is good news for us because it reminds us that we have a high priest that can empathize with what we're experiencing. So maybe you're tired because that extra hour of sleep wasn't an extra hour of sleep, right? Especially if the little ones, right? You know, they were getting up really, really early. Or maybe life is just tired. But we have one who understands what it's like to be tired. And so again, it says Jesus was tired as he, as he was from the journey. So he sat down by the well. He sat down there. And then it goes on to say this. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So this woman this Samaritan woman is thrown off by this conversation. And she, she lets him know that. Like, how can you, being a Jew, talk to me as a Samaritan woman? And this is even more controversial when, when you look at who Jesus is as he was viewed as a rabbi, as a teacher. And so rabbis, to not only were Jewish people not the ones that were to talk to Samaritans and it was looked down upon, but then to be a rabbi who was Jewish and to do this, to enter into this kind of conversation would be viewed as scandalous and controversial. So much so that the Samaritan woman is like, how could you ask me for a drink? Because they did not associate. Jewish people had a prejudice towards the Samaritans. And this led again for the Samaritans to have a, a, a disdaining viewpoint and perspective towards the Jewish people as well. So there's this animosity. And so you start to see how this is really playing out. But it goes on to say, this it says Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water so she's starting to to go back and forth with Jesus Jesus says hey if you knew who you were talking to if you understood the person that you're speaking to, if you knew the gift of God, as he says here, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Because he knows this woman, just like you and me, are thirsty. We are spiritually thirsty. We are longing for this living water that won't run out, that will not run dry, that does not disappoint. This living water that Jesus himself is and provides for us. It is the gift of God. And it's interesting as you think about what it is Jesus is doing with this woman as he's starting to enter into this conversation with her. He's starting to put in front of her a vision for a way of life that he himself wants to give to her. And what's beautiful about this is that this was the beginning of Jesus moving outside of specifically Jewish people alone and moving towards the Gentiles, moving towards those who were non-Jewish. It was a reminder, as it says in the Old Testament in Isaiah, that the, the Jewish people 
we're to be a light to all the nations to point to the one true God. And we see Jesus is that light and he is that living water. And he's moving towards this woman. He's moving towards her and what it is that she's doing in her own life and experiencing. And so we start to see Jesus have this conversation. But for her, she just like, this doesn't make sense to me. You don't have anything to draw with. Uh, the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She's like, wait a minute, is this like a new kind of water? You know, is this like a, 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 a new water that if you drink it, like you get more energy? You know, it's like one of those new, you know, those new waters that keep coming out, you know, like, uh, like, hey, if you drink this, it has this type of stuff in it. And she just doesn't make, doesn't make sense to her. It doesn't fully add up for her. Then as we continue on, I want us to just think about, again, the beginning part of this. And what we said is like, how are you, how can you be for the people you're supposed to be against? And the first part is this, that you have to see them and start a conversation. You have to see them. You have to see them and make time and room in your life to see the people that are on the path and on the journey as you're going. And Jesus does this so well. He sees this woman and he starts a conversation with her. He doesn't run from her. He doesn't show disdain towards her, but he enters in to a conversation with her. In other words, he sees the dignity of who she is, no matter what she's been through or what she was as a Samaritan woman. He didn't have that perspective, but he saw her for who she was, someone made in the image of God. And you know, God sees you in that way as well. He doesn't just see you as someone to tolerate, put up with, but rather someone to come near to and to cherish and to enter in to a conversation. Again, if we're going to be for the people we're supposed to be against, you have to see them and start a conversation. And the next part of this is Jesus just asked a simple question. Let's say this out loud on three, one, two, three. Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? That's how he started the conversation. Will you give me a drink? And it was to set up this opportunity for her to be engaged by him. And as we think through this and as we continue on here, I want us just to think about how Jesus did his ministry. Because it's important that we don't miss how he has these conversations with people again and again. In fact, since our time in John, we've seen him have three different types of conversations. First with those early disciples. And then in John 3, we, we saw him have a conversation with Nicodemus and now the woman at the well. But as you look at Jesus and how he did his ministry, Jesus was asked 183 questions. He answered three directly, but Jesus asked 307 questions. How good are you at asking questions? Questions that allow you to engage with others. Questions that speak of curiosity and interest. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't have the answers, by the way. This wasn't about, hey, he lacked the information or didn't know the truth, but rather he wanted people to enter in with him and for them to start to process out loud with him about their own story, their own life, their own questions. And so how are you doing at asking questions? How good are you at seeing the people around you and entering into conversations and asking questions that are thoughtful 
and curious. Ways in which allow you to engage with them. And, and yesterday I had this experience at McDonald's. Don't tell my brother, all right? I was at McDonald's, all right? All right? All right. I was at, okay, all right? My, my, my son loves, loves the McDonald's playground, all right? On Cedar Crest, all right? All right? And so I'm there, and as, I, as I'm there, and I'm, I'm ordering food, and, and as I start to order the food for my son, he wanted a Happy Meal, and we're, we're, I'm engaging with the person at the, the counter, the cashier, and she said to me, she said, uh, as I was asking her, how, how's, her, how's her day going and how everything, how's everything going? You know, it's busy today and all this stuff. She's like, you're like the nicest customer I've had all day. And she's like, you're like, your energy. She was talking about my energy. She's like, you've got this energy, you know, going on. And, and I was like, just telling her, I was like, well, you know, I, I know that in this season, it's, it's really tough uh, for people who are in this type of industry and work in general. So I want to just thank you for showing up today. I know it's, it's busy and it's crazy and, and all these things. And, and she's like, but yeah, just your, your joy and your energy. I was like, well, I'm just trying to walk with Jesus and in, within his ways. I want to walk in his ways. And I, I just wanted to let her know that and just said, hey, as we pray for our food, we'll be praying a blessing for you in the store. And I tell you that story less about me because it's not about me in, in the sense of who I am, but rather about just the engagement with somebody. And we have opportunities to have those type of encounters as we go about our days. But again, we have to see the people around us and we have to engage and start conversations. And we have to pray for eyes to see. But again, Jesus models this way. Well, as it continues on here, it says this. Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock. And so now, you know, this, the woman at the well, she's like going back to her heritage and talking about this, and she's asking a question with, to Jesus and in this, within this conversation that they're having together. And then it goes on here. It says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So she was talking about Jacob's well. Jesus is saying, hey, I want to tell you about a water that satisfies. I want to tell you about this, this water that will spring up and well, as it says here, swelling up to eternal life life. And, and really, again, it's this way of life that is ours through what Jesus has done for us, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's a way of life that allows us to walk with him, to know him, to experience him, to join him, and what it is that he's created us for. But it's this life that knows no end. It's this life that is marked by hope, joy, and peace, and is satisfying. And Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to know Whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. And are you thirsty here this morning? Are you longing for something? Are you afraid of something? I want you to know there's a living water that is available to us that won't run dry, that won't run out, that will satisfy us and meet those deep longings, those deep places of fear and insecurity and anxiety. And it's found in who Jesus is. 
Well, it continues on here. It says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. Again, she's thinking about this as a new product line. You know, she's like, all right, this is water. Like, you know, Jewish H2O, right? She's got something in her mind that Jesus isn't saying. Again, she says, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. And then it goes on to say this. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And you're like, whoa, this conversation turned really quick, right? It's like we went from water to wells to all of a sudden, now Jesus is going to this place. And at first glance, when you hear what he's saying, you can misunderstand what he's trying to get at because he's trying to get to the heart of the issue within her own life. And this part for her is a part of deep insecurity and shame. I could imagine it doesn't tell us directly. It doesn't tell us the backstory about did these husbands just leave her without cause? But we know she's got relational pain and baggage and hurt and hang-ups here. We, we can see this. Again, he says, again, the fact is that you've had five husbands and the man that you're with now, he is not your husband. And it seems unkind what he's doing, but in order to give comfort in the living water, she has to be made aware of her condition. So in order to get comfortable and to find the comfort in Christ, Jesus is bringing forth an uncomfortable truth about her and about us all. That we have a brokenness in our own lives, whether that's a broken sexuality, whether that is brokenness in the ways in which we relate to others or the way in which we see life or the things that we've done or haven't done, we miss God's perfect standard in ways again and again. But we can't fully see and understand what it is that he has for us until we recognize our condition apart from him. And so what Jesus is doing, while it doesn't seem kind, is very kind. Because he's highlighting a truth in her own life and a need that she has, a longing. She's looking for somebody, somebody to walk with her, to bring satisfaction. She's looked in relationships. And you know the old country song, I looked in all the wrong places, right? And, you know, this is what's happened. She's looked here, and she hasn't found it. It's come up empty again and again and again. What about you? Where have you looked again and again and again? You keep going to the same place. You keep going to the same person. You keep going to the same political ideology and hope that that in itself will bring you what only Jesus can bring you. What is it in your own life that you're turning to that's above Jesus? Because he wants to tell you, hey, I've got something better. And it's found in me. Well, as we continue on here, if we're going to be for the people we're supposed to be against, you have to see what's beyond the surface. And Jesus does that. He models that. And isn't it so easy to look at somebody by just what we can see with our eyes and not to look beyond what's going on? Not to excuse anything, but rather to empathize with them and to understand why they do what they do. There's something deeper 
to what's going on in this woman's life. Just like there's something deeper in our own lives as well. There's something deeper in our own stories than what others can just see. And there are probably very few people that really know the whole story. But Jesus knows the whole story. And he models for us a way that if you, again, if you're going to be for the people you're supposed to be against, you have to see what's beyond the surface. And so as we think about that, that brings us here. See, Jesus saw a Samaritan woman who had a lot of shame from her relational scars and offered her living water. He, he knew. He knew what she experienced. He knew what, what she had been walking through. He knew. He saw it. And instead of throwing condemnation on her, he invited her into something while being kind and saying, hey, I want you to know, I know what's going on. I know your story. I know who you are and where you've been. But I want you to know, I want to give you living water that's found in me. I'm pursuing you. I'm intentionally pursuing you and engaging you in this way. And this goes on to to lead us to this part. And it's that Jesus sees your whole story. He sees your whole story. And again, he's not turned away from you by it. He doesn't run from you. He doesn't hide from you. He comes near to you. He sees it. He knows all the scars. He knows all the shame. He knows all the pride, all the fear, all the ways that you take the blame of others or you blame others. He sees it all. He sees every part of your story. And so the question for us is, do you seek to understand the whole story of others? Do you seek to have ears to hear, to ask questions out of curiosity, to get to know what's going on in the lives of others? And to do this means we've got to slow down. To do this means we've got to be intentional. To do this means we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And we've got to be reminded of what he has done for us. So if you're not taking that in, it's very difficult and impossible to do it for others. Are you receiving regularly what it is that he has done for you? Are you reminded of the way he comes near to you just like he came near to the Samaritan woman? Well, it continues on here in John 4. It says this. It says, sir, let me answer your question. Let's talk about that. I really want to go deeper into this uncomfortable subject. Now, listen to what happens next. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's like, hey, you know what? All right, I can see that you're more than just a guy selling water, right? <laughs> I can see this more going on. You're a prophet. You're a prophet, but let's, let, let me like juke you here for a minute. Let's talk about something that's not so personable, so personal in our own life, in my own life right here, right? That's a little uncomfortable, right? Like, ah, you know, let, let's talk about where we're going to worship, right? You know, you, you say we have to worship in Jerusalem. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about something out there, not in here. And how many times do we do that? How many times do we do that in the lives, in our own lives, but also with others? Talk about these other issues versus what's going on. And that doesn't mean these other issues don't have a place and don't matter. But it's easy to do that versus to look deep within with what's happening. Because it's uncomfortable. And I think this woman, again, models that for us. So as we, as we think about this, as we're going to be for people, 
who are supposed to be against. We need to avoid unnecessary debate and engage in meaningful dialogue. That doesn't mean that we don't have a difference of opinion on something, but Jesus, what you're going to see here in just a minute, he doesn't take the bait. He doesn't get sidetracked by all this. Rather, he sees the woman and he sees what's going on. But again, for us, in the day and age that we live, we need to know how important it is for us to avoid unnecessary debate and engage in meaningful conversation. Because Jesus, again, models that way for us. And as, as we think about that, and as we think about the political season that we're in, because it's one thing to get in debates like in person, but social media is another way to do that. So I just want you to think, again, as we get ready for this election season, outcome of political arguments on Facebook. All right, here's the outcome. You have changed your mind. That's the green one. They have changed their mind. That's the blue one. No one changes, it, no one changes anything and everyone's upset. That's the red one. Right? Th th this is the truth, right? Because, again, social media can be a helpful way to connect and even to share things. Whether that's on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or whatever platform you choose. But the reality is, oftentimes, to get into a meaningful dialogue requires face-to-face -face interaction, even about these type of issues and subjects. But I think in our day and age, we have lost the art of valuing the other person to the point where we're going to see them beyond just a post or a perspective, but we're going to see the person made in the image of God. And so we need to avoid unnecessary debate and get into meaningful dialogue. Meaningful dialogue. Well, as, as we continue on here, and as we think about what that could look like, here's a question for you to ask. What are your thoughts on spirituality and how it relates to life? And what are your thoughts about Jesus? Because a lot of times what can happen is we get sidetracked by all these other issues that we miss the person and we miss the deeper longing within them and what it is that they're saying. Again, not that we don't have an answer or a thought on these other issues, but they're going to become more clear to the person we're talking to when we tell them the heart behind what it is we're about, who it is that we're about. And part of that is by listening and understanding their own story and their own journey and asking these types of questions. You'll be amazed that as you start talking to people, even if they don't give you a lot, they're willing to talk. They're willing to share these things. They're willing to engage. The question is, are we willing to ask? Am I willing to be uncomfortable even if I don't feel like I have all the answers? Am I willing to do that? Because again, what we want to do is join Jesus in the way that he moved into these types of conversations. So again, what are your thoughts on spirituality and how it relates to life? And what are your thoughts about Jesus? Well, it continues on here in John 4. It says this. It says, woman, Jesus replied, I b believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. In other words, hey, you, you don't fully understand what it is that you're worshiping. You don't fully get it. And I, I think this speaks to a cultural reality for us as well. There's a lot of worship going on, but people don't fully understand what worship truly means and is. And Jesus is saying to them, hey, and to the, the Samaritan woman here, I want you to know as you look at the Jewish race, salvation was meant to come through us. It wasn't meant 
just for us. It was meant for all people, right? It was meant for all people. But then he goes on to say this. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And so what he's saying is it's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. There's a time coming. Again, there's a time coming that things are going to be different. And when the true worshipers will worship the Father by the power of the spirit at work in them, through the finished work of Jesus on their behalf, and in the truth, the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of of walking in his ways and what he is about. Again, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And so as we think about what he's saying, I I think it's important for us not to miss it because he's trying to really call this woman to something deeper. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, Jesus declared this, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. The one that you're speaking to, I am the one that you're looking forward to. And he could get to this point as he continued to engage with her. And and next week we'll see that she becomes someone who puts her trust in him. But it starts by him really starting with a simple question. Will you give me something to drink? and then engaging with her throughout this conversation. And we start to see this progression in her own conversation with Jesus of moving from water to spiritual things, to understanding what this living water is and and means. And so as we consider this and as we think about this, I want us to, to think about the following, that the goal isn't to win an argument, but to winsomely point them to Jesus. That is not our goal. Our objective is not to win an argument or to get full agreement. And we live in a day and age where full agreement means I'm fully for you. And that's not true. And it's just not out there in the culture. It's also within the church as well. We've got to model a different way that says, no, 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 no. I want to winsomely point you to Jesus. It's not about winning an argument. It's about pointing you to who Jesus is. And what he has for you. That's more important than me winning this argument. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's really about pointing people to who he is and what he's about and joining him in that. So as we think about this, I want to ask you a question. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty today? Are you spiritually thirsty? Is there something in your own life as you look at what's going on? are Are you thirsty? And then the next question is this. Who do you know? who is spiritually thirsty? Who do you know who is spiritually thirsty? Who in your life do you know that is thirsty and longing for the living water that Jesus offers? And then the last part of this is this, who will you winsomely, winsomely attempt to point to Jesus this week? Who are you going to winsomely attempt to point to Jesus this week. I want you to be thinking about this. Who is it in your own life that God has positioned you in for such a time as this? For you to engage with them, for you to point them towards Christ. 
Because at the end of the day, Jesus is for all of us, and he's made a way. And while we live in a day and age that tells us that we're supposed to be against people and a certain kind of people and a group of people, Jesus says, no, I'm for all people, and I've made a way for them to experience this eternal living water that's found in me. Will you join me? Will you join me? Because I'm inviting you into this. And so as we think about this, I want to go to a time of prayer with you right now. So as you, let's just keep those questions back up, Robin. We'll leave those questions up. As they're up, I want you to just be praying with me about, again, your own thirst. Again, about who you know who's spiritually thirsty. And who will you winsomely attempt to point to Jesus, just as Jesus himself models it for us. Let's pray together. Father, right now we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you, Jesus, have made a way. And as you've made a way, Lord, I want to just pray for us here today as we think about our own spiritual thirst. Maybe we're turning to things that won't ultimately satisfy those longings and those yearnings in our life. And it's time to come home. It's time to come to you if we have yet to do that, to put our trust in you, Lord. And then, Father, we think about those family members. We think about those coworkers. We think about those neighbors who are spiritually thirsty, Jesus. Right now, there is a longing. There is a longing. There is a yearning. They're seeing the same ads we're seeing. And they're like, man, there's got to be more. (laughs) Same commercials about this election season and, and the divide, Lord. And I pray that we would be a united church that would show them a better way and a different way. And that we would point them towards you. So, Lord, I pray this week you would even show us who you're asking us to winsomely point toward you. Will you show us what that looks like, the words that we're to give? And I thank you, Jesus, that you model a different way. I thank you, Jesus, that you show us the way. And that, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so we want to join you in what it is that you have for us and the activity that you're doing in us, through us, and around us. Our answer to you is yes, Jesus. We're grateful and thankful to see how you will go to work this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.